So I am curious, in the several years now you guys have been doing the show, have the Chicks with Accents ever been all in one place? No. Uh, Nick has met Met. Right. Uh, Meta, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and Getter was actually in Lisbon, but before we started the podcast, which is unfortunate. So no, we've never met in person. I think this needs to happen sooner rather than later. All four of you, all four, like really, you need to you need to see if you can get met in on this as well. All all three or four of you need to get into one place sometime soon. I know you suggested Greece, right? Yeah. Because it's the middle it's like point. Right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Make it happen. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 216 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast on my movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. We are just three shows into the new year here at the Matinee Cast, and there's been a theme where my guests are concerned. It's been bringing in guests whose time is well past due and it's been a great start to a new set of shows we got uh, got the drumsy on for the first time and my brother shane back for the first time in a long time so why stop now why not keep the line moving and bring in a woman whose writing i've loved for a long time and whose podcast i love tuning into so that's exactly what we're doing we're across the wire today talking to the proprietor of returning videotapes and the which is the new home of the blind spot series you see when i thought i was done with the writing series at the end of 2017 today's guest said let me have it and uh, she's been a wonderful mistress of mm -hmm. ceremony so far she is indeed the brains behind returningvideotapes.com and whose voice you can hear on across the universe the Chicks with Accents podcast. We are calling Portugal this morning and welcoming Sofia Teixeira to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. On episode 216, we will be discussing Velvet Buzzsaw. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first we need to learn more about Sofia. This is Know Your Enemy. Okay, you know how these go. You've been listening for quite some time. Do tell, what is one of the first films you could remember seeing in a theater? Um, that's a good question because I've been going to the theater since I was very, very little. Um, and I actually cannot remember the first films that I've seen. But I also realized that the first Harry Potter, and I've seen all of them in the theaters, and the first that came out, I was nine at the time, okay. which is weird. Yeah, <laughs> but that was probably it. <laughs> and you remember seeing that one in a theater? No, I remember the second one. Oh, but I don't okay. remember the first one, but I sh <laughs> I'm sure I did see it there. <laughs> um, what was going to the theater like for you as a girl? As it was, it was fun. It was really magical because again, it was very associated with Harry Potter and. At one point, my parents started taking me to movies that were not for my age, uh, horror movies, basically. Awesome. Yeah, and I got in because I was with my parents, so the guys at the uh, ticket office, they couldn't say no. Um, and that was, that was interesting, a bit traumatic uh, at times. I remember the ring, so that was a bit oh, scary. Wow. Oh, <laughs> and but also, yeah, but also one of the one of my favorites was um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. That really sparked the horror fan in me, and I started just loving films with exorcisms and 
things like that. You've, you've sparked an interest in me because I, I actually, I came to horror very, very late. I couldn't, I couldn't handle horror films when I was young at all. <laughs> so like, tell me about seeing the exorcism of Emily Rose. Like, wasn't that like just too traumatic? Like, did you make it through that film? Okay. I did in the moment. Um, not now, actually now I'm a bit chicken. Um, but <laughs> back then <laughs> in the moment I played like very, I very strong, you know, I, how do you say, like I was very confident on the outside. Okay. Later on, it would manifest, the trauma would manifest. And not so much with the exorcism of Emily Rose, funnily enough. That one I found honestly intriguing at that phase. I don't know mm. how, how I must have been like 10 or 11. I'm not sure when it came out. Um, but the ring, the ring, it was definitely traumatic. I still cannot quite watch that movie. Um, That's and I, I, yeah, but I, you see, I saw it alone. Um, and then at my birthday party, I would play it for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> we had, I remember distinctly one birthday party um, at my parents' apartment. I invited all my friends. And we watched The Ring and Final Destination something, one of them, right? And everyone was just terrified. I don't doubt it. I'm sure <laughs> nobody slept at the, like that night. Holy crap. That's fantastic. Wait. I love that answer so much better than, than knowing that you went to Disney and Harry Potter, that you were watching horror movies at such a young age. <laughs> yeah. What is one of the last movies you saw that's not one of the movies we're going to talk about today? Which would be That Obscure Object of Desire from Louise Bunuel. I haven't seen enough Boonwell. How was it? It was Boonwell. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's well, well I, Yeah, I've grown to like it. It is a bit absurd, um, but I, I've I've grown to like his absurdness. Um, I don't know if you know the basics of it. I don't. Yeah, well, it's a middle-aged man that falls in love or in lust. Uh, with an, an 18-year-old. Of course. Um, yes, of course, it's Brunel. And But the, the, the thing here that is really funny, because this is a comedy, too, um, is that she she kind of teases him, but denies him sex altogether. Hmm. And he just, he's, he's desperate for it. And that comes through in co comedy bits. Uh, like in one scene, without spoiling it, no worries. But uh, he's trying to have sex with her, like really pushing her. And she's just, she's wearing this underwear that is like a straight jacket, but for like panties. Hmm. And he can't stick it off. And so he starts crying. So, Oh my you know. God. This movie sounds incredible. It is. It's not, I I liked other Boonwells more, but I I feel like with every movie that he makes it benefits from repetitive viewings so i think I, when i watch it again i'll love it even more but right now i really liked it yes it's absurd and and very weird and peculiar um the only thing i really know about it besides knowing bonwell uh is um the main actor fernando ray i know him from the french connection Oh, I haven't uh, seen the French Connection. Oh, well, you should put that on your blind spot series for next year. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm woefully uh, 
ill versed with Bunuel. Like I saw, I mean, one of my blind spots back when I was doing it was Belle de Jour, um, mm-hmm. which which I really loved. And there was actually a, a screening series uh, three years ago at the TIFF Lightbox here in Toronto, where Guillermo del Toro was presenting Bunuel's Mexican films. So he talked mm-hmm. about, um, like, he, so he showed and talked about. Uh, movies like El Bruto and um, Woman Without Love and those kinds of movies. So it's I've I've got like spots with Boonwell. Like one of these days, I'll probably put the hammer down and really go into it. But it looks like that was actually also his last film. So that's kind of an it interesting was. place to 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 pick up. It was, it was, and it's it's uh, there's a few details about the film, um, how it actually touches on a few things that he became a bit obsessed with, but maybe not obsessed is not the word, but he became uh, concerned about, namely terrorism, Hmm. all the way back then, yeah. Yeah, So the movie does actually have uh, terrorist attacks. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting film. And he's he's a very compelling director. I definitely need to see this movie. Uh, Sophia, what is one of the worst movies you've ever seen? Uh, that I've seen all the way through, uh, we, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> because I have become good at like avoiding bad movies, actually. Hey, man, that uh, is precious. Yeah, true. Uh, so the, one of them very recently was Submergence, actually. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it. Nope. Yeah. I should have known because it didn't have any marketing. That's usually a bad indicator. Uh, but it did star Alicia Vikander and James McAvoy, and I thought that sounded like a great cast. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, no, it's really bad. It's, it's, what was it about? It was like they met at some bed and breakfast somewhere. I don't know if it was Scotland or some other European, I don't know. Um, and it seems like they're falling in love, but then they have these weird conversations about the world, um, and then he's kind of a spy or I don't know. It, it was really hard to figure out the plot at some point, but it it just goes off and like they, they separate. He goes off into some remote part of the world, like somewhere in Africa or something. And there's a war there and he's kind of um, captured by terrorists and all that stuff. And then she's just she studies the, the bottom of the ocean. Okay, so she's like a marine something and she goes into she's going to one of the deepest, um, deepest oceans in the world. She's Mm -hmm. going down there. So it's kind of trying to be symbolic of like life and love, um, but it just ends up failing in everything, every little thing. It's the worst. This is a movie by Vim Vendors who, uh, like, if there is a director who fills me with more terror than (laughs) him, it's like he is, it's incredible because he's made some really amazing movies. I mean, he's, he's Wings of Desire for starters. Um, and, and, uh, Bonavista Social Club and a, a, a film that I really love called Pina. Um, but then (laughs) he, releases a movie like just about every year and so many of them are bad um but he just because he's got this name he just kind of keeps on treading on it 
and and everybody just kind of keeps on getting drawn to Vim vendors. That there, yeah, there is nothing about that movie that sounds good, and you stuck with it the whole way, probably just hoping it would improve. Hoping, and because I really like Alicia Vikander, James James McAvoy. Yeah. They had a good enough chemistry there. Um, too bad they were apart most of the film, but oh, uh, <laughs> it's a smart move. But but you know another one that I did not finish. And I think it was from last year, actually. It was Destination Wedding. You heard about that? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Again, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, I thought, wow, I haven't seen them in so long. And to see them together, this must be such a great opportunity. It must be so good. Nope. And it was so, no, it was unbelievably bad. I couldn't watch it. It was so painful. <laughs> it's it feels like a ripoff right when you when you think to yourself not so much the money that you may or may not pay to watch these movies whether you're paying for your netflix or you pay for a rental or you pay to see something in the theater it's the time yes. that you lose yes yes yeah that's time that you're not getting back yeah uh vim vendors i always just say approach with like deep deep caution because <laughs> i i don't know what he's doing but that man needs to be told no far more often than he's being told no um okay so in keeping with your blind spot series what is a classic or essential movie that you have not yet seen just one <laughs> yeah i know it's, it's, it's a 90 minute show <laughs> okay uh well i think the biggest one is definitely lawrence of arabia I, oh wow! Yeah, that that yeah. comes up a few times here. Is is there a reason why you've been avoiding it, or just that you haven't got around to it? It just doesn't sound very exciting, and I'm sorry. It's just I'm sure it is, but it's just I imagine desert and four hours long. I don't know. <laughs> I've never gotten the the impulse to watch it. Yeah. So it's just one of those. But one that I really want to see and haven't seen is Blow Up. So that's actually... Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. We watched it um, when I was studying photography back in college um, because there's a huge component of it, of course, that, that's, that hangs on a mm -hmm. photographer. Um, I, I've i got a lot... And again, you're, you're kind of hitting me where it hurts because I, you're picking all these directors that I've got all these gaps. And I do have a lot of gaps where it comes <laughs> to Antonioni. Um I can tell you there are some things in Austin Powers that'll get a little bit funnier after you watch uh, after you watch Blow Up, <laughs> um, and it's it's got it's got some really it's got some really strange moments as well in it. Um, it's got like this whole beginning and ending uh, sequence with mimes playing tennis. It's exciting <laughs> as it sounds. Did you ever see the American version? Did you ever see Blow Out? No, no, okay. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, that one's with um, that one's by Brian De Palma um, from like oh. 1981. It's with um, John Travolta, and in that one, it's it's kind of the same, not kind of. It is the same idea, except in this story, instead of going with photography as the mechanism to discovering the misdeeds, um, it's all done through sound. Um, mm -hmm. John Travolta is a, it's like a sound artist for a film and he's constantly out just recording ambient noise and he happens upon the ambient noise of uh of a uh, a car accident and he just gets consumed with it um oh blow either one of those though blow up and blow out they're both amazing movies so i really kind of envy that you get to see them both for the first time um and, and blow up the, the the difference of course blow up is like a 19 uh 
60s film, so it's a little bit artier and, and dirtier in that 1960s foreign cinema kind of way. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, and I do think you should see Lawrence of Arabia if you can ever stomach four hours in the desert. <laughs> last but not least. Yeah, okay. Last but not least, what is a film that for any reason you wish you made? Um, well, for all the reasons I wish I had made In the Mood for Love. Uh, one car wise in the mood for love just because if I ever were a director that's exactly the kind of film that I would love to make it just for me it's it's a it's the perfect film it's possibly my favorite of all time all time <laughs> so that's definitely the one makes smoking look really good doesn't it Yes, it, does. it makes everything look good. It makes heartbreak look good, which it does. doesn't. No, no. Um, I uh, yeah, I, I I was late to that movie. Like that movie's from um, two thousand. I didn't see it until like twenty ten or twenty twelve. Um, yeah. But you're right. That movie is yeah. That, that for all the reasons, as you said, that movie is fantastic um with tony lung and maggie chung both of mm -hmm. them just so so beautiful in that movie so sexy in that movie um every every room is just a room i just want to sit in yeah you know um yeah, you, everything you, the music you seem, everything you seem like you're are you, are you drawn to films for the visual because a lot of the movies you've talked about have been very very striking I am. I am very drawn to that. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that because mm. most of the connections in my mind that I make um, are definitely visual very when nice. it comes to films. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think if nothing else, you've actually inspired me that it's been far too long since I've watched In the Mood for Love. So when you see that turn up in my letterbox feed later on, <laughs> that's why. Uh, but we have a movie to talk about. Speaking about visuals, we've got one that's very, very visual um, yes. coming up in the new slang. Uh, come right back after this. We're going to talk about Velvet Buzzsaw in just a moment. I stand here waiting for you to make the song. The new slang on episode 216 is Velvet Buzzsaw, directed and written by Dan Gilroy. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, Tony Collette, Zawe Ashton, David Diggs, and John Malkovich. It is the story of the nuttiness around the Los Angeles art scene. There are critics, there are curators, there are artists, there are buyers, and they are all so very high strung. One day, one such insider, a buyer named Josefina, finds a stash of works created by a neighbor who's recently died. Everything is eerie, captivating, impressionistic, and so weird. But as the works are shown and sold, everyone involved with buying and selling starts to get into some very strange and very violent situations. Mm -hmm. More than once, characters in Velvet Buzzsaw are confused about what is art and what is not. Sometimes violent acts are studied and believed to be creative work, and other times they're pieces of trash which are mistaken for art. <laughs> Meanwhile, the actual works are shredded apart brushstroke by brushstroke until they are fit to be swept up and tossed out. This movie has a lot to say about criticism and what is and isn't art. So, pop quiz hotshot. This film has also got a very trashy bent to it. Is this film art? 
Is it trash or is it trashy art? <laughs> uh, you're asking me? Yeah. No one else here. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to to know because when you're trying to critique and kind of be trash, do you become trash? Because that's my feeling on this film. Um, we'll elaborate. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that it's trashy art. I think that this is a movie okay. that uh, <laughs> wants to lure people in thinking that it's very, very handsome uh, and um, has mm. a lot of things on its mind and then just gets really, really... Uh, you know, like second movie in the matinee, uh, you know, like it just, it gets really gnarly and silly and full of itself in the most delightful way. Oh, so in the most delightful way, that's, Oh, you you weren't delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, did you like this movie? I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. Um, like I said, I'm still on the fence because I cannot be sure if it was doing it right, if it was being authentic in how absurd it was. Um, I felt like at times it got a little bit lost, but I do think I enjoyed it more than most people from what I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, that's the funny thing is kind of like taking ourselves out of the box of what we saw on the screen for a moment. Um, Mm. When a movie drops on Netflix, it seems as though... A lot of people clamor to see it right away. I think it, like, it almost feels like people clamor towards it more than when a new release drops um, because it seems like when you look around social media in that first few days after it arrives, it's what everybody's watching and everybody's talking about because it's because they don't have to leave and they don't have to search for it. It's right there. It's right yes. on the homepage. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. I have. It definitely becomes a trend. Yeah. And like it, in some ways, that's I think in some ways that's a little bit helpful because if I see everybody trending about it all at once and I kind of get a sense of either everybody loves it or everybody hates it, it slants my expectations usually for the better because either if everybody loves it, then I kind of chase it a little bit quicker. But if everybody hates it, then I go in thinking, okay, this movie's going to be problematic, and it just lowers the bar so that if if I actually dig it, I'm like, hey, that, there was nothing wrong with that. What's everybody going on about? I have an issue there, uh, oh, really? which is not very good to have for a critic or someone who <laughs> critiques films, is that especially in this kind of film, because I do believe in about what they say, the, the critic the criticism that they do for critics here. Um, Because I do believe that everything is a little bit relative, or very relative, actually. Mm. Um, I start to second guess. Hmm. I see something like this. This is terrible, but I see something like this, and I know people didn't enjoy it. And I didn't read anything before, but I did caught whiff of it on Twitter, you know, as you do. Yeah. And... If someone says something is fake, how do you prove that it's not? Does that impact how you feel? Because that's actually what I felt watching Bunuel. I was thinking, he does these absurd things. It's so studied, right? You, it's that kind of film that you know they really thought and ha- about it and has that bit of, like it's very manipulated, you know, mm-hmm. the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking, he does this so well, and to me it feels so authentic that other directors, when they try to do it, it 
doesn't feel like that. It feels like they're trying and not actually being, you know? Um, and watching Velvet Buzzsaw, I kept thinking, does he, is this real? Is this campy, just in style, or he's, is he getting lost here? Um, so I was very on the fence about that point um, of this film. I do think I need to watch it again. But um, at the end, for me, it just felt like he was having fun. He was making fun and having fun. One of the things, of course, I, I really stuck with was this film's comment about criticism. Um, yes. Because Morph, the character, I mean, first of all, the character's name is Morph. Let's start there. But the character <laughs> that Jake Gyllenhaal plays is such, he's so cartoony. He's He's so over the top. And yet... He's not any kind of caricature, but he's a critic that talks a lot, but says very little. And it, yeah. I, I don't think, I, I don't know that Dan Gilroy really has any kind of ax to grind. His only other film was really, really well received in terms of Nightcrawler. But mm. um, the way Gyllenhaal speaks, the way that Morph speaks in this movie, he's always so assured of his opinions. He always talks such shit about almost everything except for except for this collection of art um by Dees, this this dead um neighbor of, of josephina Dees is the only one that he speaks of absolutely glowingly everybody else he comes in and comes out on in terms of like how he how he respects their work and it it it's hard to ignore gilroy trying to say something about criticism like that at one point he even says oh sure talk about money instead of talking about meaning because that's so much easier and it's like well yeah that, that is kind of what we do we talk about how popular these films are or how much money they mm -hmm. make instead of how good they are or what they mean or what they evoke and i don't know like on, on the one hand it kind of feels like a really sharp critique of critique on the other hand it kind of seems like you know, taking us like clapping back, basically. Even regarding to general, you know, film criticism, what we do, uh, what we see others do, where we read newspapers, magazines, online websites, everything, I do get that sense. Um, there's, I, I was even thinking about how you you need that arrogance. Uh, it's celebrated that arrogance and that black and white thing of I hate this, and if you need to be so assured of what you're saying, like he was. Um, so confident in your own despi despise for something or love for something. It feels silly sometimes. And I, because I do feel like it's so subjective and mm. he does that very well, very, um, not, I don't want to say cliched because I have, uh, I don't know if I've seen that before, but it is a very obvious way to do it. And it's very on point actually. Um, with what's going on these days and these days since ever actually and I just felt like that to me spoke to me a lot um, because that's exactly how I feel about art and criticism and I think it's not that opinions don't matter so I think they do different opinions matter but they just they have their own relative way these are very hard uh topics <laughs> yeah because well, i i think what it comes down to what this film makes me think about um and i mean that's that's one thing is this film actually makes me think what i think about that's kind of that's that's a neat yeah. trick um <laughs> but what i think this film makes me think about is not so much 
what we say as how we say it. I, I, I think that that may be something that the mm -hmm. film has on its mind, um, either at the forefront of its mind or a little bit more in the recesses, is, y you know, like impression is important and reaction is important and critique is important because without these things, you're just working yes. in a vacuum and nothing happens. But at the same time, there needs to be... Uh, there needs to be a respect and a humility to reaction, either positive or negative, because some of these characters, they just seem so full of themselves and so pretentious yeah. that it becomes a little bit hard to take them seriously, either in the positive or the negative. You know, we, we watch more just become effusive about the work of Deese later on. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, wait a second. You were just trashing the living hell out of something that i liked 20 minutes ago and now you're you're i'm supposed to take you seriously because you like it um i i think that's that's the key is when we write and when we tweet and when we talk is not what we have to say but how we say it because we are still talking about somebody else's work even when i was you know even when i was shredding Vim Vendors. I was talking about, you know, he's a guy who's created like such amazing work, but every time he creates a movie, I'm just so wary because I don't know what he's doing anymore. I, st I still, <laughs> you know, if you told me that a Vim Vendors movie was amazing, I'd still take your word for it and go, but I, I want to be respectful about somebody who's created movies that have had such an effect on me, like Wings of Desire in Paris, Texas. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's the thing is I don't feel like this movie says that criticism is bad. And I don't feel like this nope. movie is saying that these people are full of shit. But I do feel like this movie is saying, what are these people saying? It poses a lot of questions and it shows all these characters. I don't think it gives you many answers, mm -hmm. um, this film, any. So I don't feel like it's judging per se, because when it falls in the absurd here, um, it doesn't feel like a direct uh, critique of the characters, I'd say, yeah. uh, because it's so silly, um, but that it's hard to take it seriously. One of the things I kind of had to laugh at is this film looks at this entire art scene in Los Angeles and all, as I said, all these buyers and artists and critics and whatever. I think the thing I kind of got a smile about, a, a kind of a snarky little smile is, it's interesting to see a scene kind of become incestuous and everybody is kind of with everybody and has opinions about everybody. <laughs> um, you know, like that, that's just any kind of social collective. I mean, even, you know, film, film writers and film bloggers and film Twitter, we're kind mm -hmm. of all over each other in terms of who's friends with who and who kind of really likes who mm -hmm. and who can't stand who it, it's, it's sort of strange to see a community kind of just become this twisted bramble sometimes isn't it it is i think it seems like a highly competitive environment oh, yeah. really oh for yeah sure. that oh. so that tends to happen in those yeah. um it i'm so not like that that it always <laughs> fascinates me you know because i couldn't care less <laughs> yeah usually yeah i'm the least competitive person i know so <laughs> um but in here i just think it, it it just adds to that um quirkiness here of just seeing them being really mean but very cleverly mean to each other but like, also really but also really into each other right yes yeah uh so when morph starts to have that relationship with josephina and at first the first time they they sleep together i first of all it felt so cheesy for me like the airplane 
uh, sound over him going with his hand into her. It was just, wow. Yeah. Um, but it felt a little bit, it felt so superficial. It's not superficial, like fake. I can't, you're not supposed to believe their love. But no. then his character, you know, in the next few scenes uh, over, he's looking at pictures of her. Mm-hmm. And he's got the stupidest, little, silliest smile on his face. Yeah. Which is so not what you'd think of his character. Um, I just I found that so interesting, how they kind of played with, with his character being so mean and harsh for art and all of that. So over the top with everything, even his affection for her, which seems misplaced. So, yeah, some characters were really into each other. Others not so much. But... They one thing that I liked here is that they all they all had their quirks, which by the way, amazing cast to bring them all to life. Amazing mm-hmm. cast. Um, you cannot go wrong with either of these actors, and they really brought to life the quirks of each character. They all seem different but the same. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They're, you know? they're they're different pieces of the same scene. You know, like like you yes. can see all of them at the same party. I think at one point you even do. Um, you you know they're the even just when you when you've got like no no two of them are really alike. Like it's not like you're just switching pieces in and out. One of them is much more um full of themselves one of them is much more altruistic one of them really mm-hmm. want, you know one of them really believes this stuff one of them believes in nothing among the artists among the buyers it's it's a real and and yet they all seem to kind of come cut from the same cloth in some way it's a really it's a really good character study in terms of how everybody relates to everybody else yes definitely so, yeah um so like, is this film suffering from an identity crisis? Because it seems like it wants to start out as this comment on art and on rich people and on artists. And then about halfway through, it turns into this kind of pseudo slasher movie. When it made that hard, like, I I actually didn't know anything about this movie going into it besides art. Um, when it made yeah. that kind of hard right, did you go with it or did you be like, whoa, wait, what's going on here? There were moments. Um, <laughs> I, I knew, yeah, I knew art and blood when I go oh, okay. in. Okay. Yeah, when I went in, actually. Um, so when it turned to that, I was kind of expecting the, the crime part of it. Right. Um, but some deaths, I thought were a bit too campy for me. <laughs> when you asked trash or art trash or um, what I thought was if you're if you're emulating campy and he's kind of doing that in the second part of the film, like you said, he's he's doing the slasher campy thing. Um, do you become it at some point? Um, so at 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 a in some moments, I thought this is just a little too much yeah. uh, but others were i thought were absolutely brilliant the the piece of art beth mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure you know the one i'm talking oh, yes. about yeah because they all involve art but yeah that was like i cannot decide you know because it was so much that it might be good um but the, but i i definitely went with it because i like that it surprised me and if anything this movie did something different i don't think i've ever seen one quite like it yeah um and i always i always appreciate that creativity and the risk that he took here yeah. uh, so i definitely appreciate that 
Yeah, me too. I, I I don't know that it could have sustained itself if it was just trying to be this snarky comment on the art scene. Yeah. I like that it took that beginning and hung it on a on something of a you know a horror story or a crime story or a slasher story. Um, I yeah the the first the the, the first re- not the first death. There's there's I think there's about I think there's five or yeah. six altogether. And the first one is a car accident. The first one, when the, when the car accident happens, I was actually kind of taken aback because I was like, wait a second, what's happening here? Um, <laughs> but there, then there's the second one that involves an installation, which is the one that both Sophia and I are kind of tap dancing around because we want people to experience it um, <laughs> properly. Uh, but yeah, when that one shows up, it, it, it kind of, it's, it's very atmospheric. It really kind yeah. of lays the groundwork for what it's about to do it doesn't come out of nowhere you know it, exactly. it, it does it doesn't scare you out of nowhere it really actually kind of leads you into that dark gallery uh to you know to let the blood start to fly um i i think that's the thing is that this movie it does go from one thing to another thing um in a way that actually reminded me of another movie we'll talk about later um mm-hmm. but i don't think it's an identity crisis i actually really think that it works together really nicely and whether or not you're on board for it just kind of comes down to whether you're on board for this kind of movie or not like that's the thing i can really see how people did not like this movie that was not a stretch yeah i mean i think the biggest criticism is probably that it feels disjointed i think it it there's a lot going on here oh yeah um there's a lot of characters there's a lot of of places um, and in fact, I was reading an interview with uh, Gilroy uh, just a while ago, and it was funny because he was saying, I don't know if you read it, but he was saying how he he wanted to go everywhere. I got that feeling when I was watching it because he literally goes everywhere. He goes to every type of character in this world and he goes to every place that they work or could be in. Um, and I think the sheer size of it... Um, the broadness of the characters and the places and everything, it may feel confusing because even in terms of colors, and again, this is the visual aspect for me, but it varies a lot, you know, and there's um, a bit, there's a lot going on style-wise in terms of how the camera moves, you know, everything is very detailed and very studied and there's a... um, a bit of a, maybe too much of it going on and for me and that is why I don't absolutely love this film sometimes too much style takes me away from it you know uh, see I'm the opposite if I've got a lot of style I'm usually actually going in further but I, I do know, yeah I know I do know what you're talking about because I think for instance about uh Piers the John Malkovich character he mm-hmm. really doesn't have a whole lot to do um, nope. In this movie, and, and I mean, even even David Diggs as as uh, Demrish doesn't have a whole lot to do. They're just kind of there to bounce a few lines off of the buyers and the critics and keep the movie going forward. They don't enter. They certainly don't enter into the the bloodiness yeah. of the fray. Mm-hmm. They don't really further the plot. They they're just kind of around because we need some artists to speak up to these buyers and these critics. So yeah, but I mean with peers like we go to his we go to his studio we spend studio. a whole lot of time 
you know, talking about how, oh, I, I've blocked out all of the downtown vices and that, you know, <laughs> don't look at that thing over there. That, that's nothing. Just come on over here. And he's shooting, he's shooting hoops. And yeah, and I'm like, why did we just go there? That, that, that did nothing for, for the whole overall scope of critique and the art destroying the people who are around it. So yeah, I, I do, I do get that, but I did still enjoy the overall effect um yes we end every matinee cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could you could take away from this movie and keep sophia what would be your souvenir from velvet buzzsaw can it be a huge souvenir i think we want the same souvenir is it a house oh no which oh, okay no we don't not that quite that big which house did you want <laughs> Oh, either uh, Morphs or uh, Rodora's, actually. Both oh, their Rodora's houses are house amazing. Is incredible, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's you know, like, I've never, I've never spent a whole lot of time in any of those California houses that you see in these kind of movies. Like, I mean, they all kind of look like Tony Stark's mansion. They've all got glass <laughs> walls. They've all got concrete floors. The rooms are gigantic. Um, True. But yeah, they're, they're incredible houses. I don't know how Morph can afford that kind of house as, as a critic. I guess art critics are really <laughs> paid. Um, no, my, my souvenir was going to be, I want to go see the sphere. Oh yes. You oh know? yes. Uh, even, even if the, even if the sphere is, uh, is benign, I still want to try it. Cause like, you know, the, the whole idea is this piece has these holes in it and you put your hand into the hole and you feel a sensation and it's oh, different man. every time. I'm like that, just the idea of that. I'm sure that exists in art somewhere, but that to me sounded like a really cool piece that I'd really like to see and, and interact with. So that, like, I, I don't know if I want to keep it, you know, I'd probably yeah. need like, I'd need one of those houses to put it in, but I do want to, <laughs> I do want to try it. You can we, put it in my house. There we go. In, in your very big <laughs> California house. I immediately, when it came up and people were sticking their hands in it, I actually found it terrifying. Didn't you find the concept of sticking your arm in something you don't know terrifying? I would think, if nothing else, I'm going to get an electric shock. Yeah, I I don't know why. I don't know if I had a trauma as a child with that. But <laughs> honestly, I just found that I would never put my hand there. That's what I love is it's one of these, it's a piece that just kind of defies you not to do it right everybody else is doing it you know do you have the do you have the guts to put your hand there no i would no <laughs> very slowly yeah no i, I want a lantern to... just to see what's there yeah that's actually one of the things that works here is that this, that piece of art is so good mm -hmm. um in this film that it's so believable didn't you think? Even his art. I liked his art. I liked the style. It was a bit creepy. Yeah. Uh, I liked I liked wait, all of the art in this movie. I got to say, like for art that was all created for this film, it's all really distinct. It is. It is. They really yeah. thought this through. Yeah. So I could I could probably keep up. Like Sphere was the, was the one that jumped out at me the most. But there are a mm -hmm. lot of pieces from this movie that if I could, I'd, I'd, if I could afford them, I'd buy them. But I can't. Um, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Sophia Teixeira, what do you give Velvet Buzzsaw on a scale of one to four? I give it three. Three. Okay. Actually, you liked it more than I did. I was going to give it about a two and a half. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> just because it is, it is, it is, you're right. It's disjointed. I was, it is. I, I, it's a kind of film I come across this now and then, and it's actually been a while. It's a film that I enjoyed watching and I enjoyed my time with it and I was really really engaged and um, 
delighted visually because I think this, if nothing else, this film looks handsome. But everybody's so weird. A lot of people are really ugly in terms of their character, not in terms of how they're dressed because everybody is handsome as can be. But I, I would have a hard time recommending it to other people. Mm. Like if you're turning on Netflix tonight and you've got time for 100 minutes, there's a lot of other movies that I would steer you towards more than this. So it's kind of a movie where I'm like, this is speaking to me, but I'm not going to then turn around and speak for it to somebody else. You know, mm. like if, if I if yeah. I was putting on my morph critic hat, I would probably be a lot more vicious about it. I'm just I'm playing up the highlights about it. But at the same time, I'm like. I, this kind of trashiness speaks to me, but it's not the kind of thing that if my reputation was on the line, I would champion <laughs> this movie and go to go to somebody else. So I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I, I did enjoy it. And I, and I do think, you know, if you go in knowing what you're getting into, it is worth seeing, but I think it's at, at best it's flawed. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. So. There we go. Uh, three, three stars from Sophia, two and a half from me. Uh, we will think that you should check it out. Like, you know, throw it on. It's, and it, it's right there in your right there in your Netflix. So turn it on and see, uh, you know, see some handsome art and see some handsome people. And let us know what you think. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash dark, dark matinee. What do you think of Velvet Buzzsaw? Come on back. After this, we are going to flip the record over and play the other side. We're back. She's Sophia. I'm Ryan. You're listening to Matinee Cast 216. We've been talking about Velvet Buzzsaw, the new film on Netflix by uh, Dan Gilroy. And uh, we're going to kind of go further down the rabbit hole, talk about some uh, some additional reading you could do if you want to look at critics or handsome people or art or all of the above. Um, Sophia, why don't you get us started? What's a film that you think could make for a good uh, companion piece after people come away from Velvet Buzzsaw? I kept being reminded of Nocturnal Animals. Ah, that was actually going to be one of mine, so good call. Yeah, oh good, thank God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it, it does start Jake Gyllenhaal too, um, but I just, I felt like these characters live in the same world. I kept thinking that because they, the, the tone, the toned visual tone, I mean, that modern kind of urban setting, super modern urban setting, and then the enigmatic thriller at some point, you know, in the beginning of mm -hmm. when the movie flips, yep. obviously then it's not enigmatic anymore, not right. too much. But um, that part right there, it just, I kept thinking of nocturnal animals and just how they're impeccably dressed, perfect makeup, very sleek, uh, a bit more quirky here, but I just felt that they were the same the same world, just different people, but in the same world. That's the feeling that I got. And I'm talking, of course, of the Tom Ford film um, that came out a few years ago. Yeah, and I think it's it's actually an apt comparison because I think that Nocturnal Animals does a lot of what Velvet Buzzsaw wants to do, but mm. better. It it finds yes. that it finds that pivot of going from 
you know, trashy, uh, catty art critique into actual violence. It finds that pivot much more naturally. And it seems to also infuse its characters with a little bit more humanity. Like off the top of this movie, we meet Amy Adams and Army Hammer as this, you know, this really, really well-to-do couple. She's a, mm-hmm. she's either a curator or a buyer. I can't remember which. Um, and he's a, he's a businessman who kind of flies in and out, but um, they are, they're not as, they're not as snide as most of um Velvet Buzzsaw, like everybody in Velvet Buzzsaw just seems so snide. Whereas these yeah. two, they're, they're still very, very critical. They're still very sharp and very harsh in terms of what they say and how they describe things. And same thing with a lot of other people in the world, but they don't kind of seem to take as much joy in being that mean. Yeah. They're, they're cold. Yeah. I think nocturnal, yeah. In nocturnal animals, the characters are just cold. Um, that's what I thought, especially Amy Adams, of course. But you do that humanity is key, actually, because I do, I did feel a lot for her character. Oh, me um, too. At, yeah, as little as she does actually do with her emotions, she doesn't like burst with them in that film. But at, Amy Adams is absolutely amazing there because um, it's so subtle but so intense how she actually portrays her heartache and all of that and just her shock at reading that script um that i do think it does what velvet couldn't do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um in a different tone but uh, a lot more subtle and you know i do love tom ford um too bad he doesn't do as many films as as others but um hey I, i have no problem waiting a long time for a tom ford movie if it means that this is what it's gonna this is what it's going to be like, you know, if, if he needs to take seven years in between movies, but those 17 years, those seven years give us a single man this, and nocturnal yeah. animals. Take your time, Mr. Ford. Absolutely. Um, I think it does. Nocturnal animals also does the violence a lot better. Like they're, they're trying to do two uh, different types of violence. I, I Thing. No, the, no, the violence here in nocturnal animals is a lot more visceral, a lot more real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually one of the most, it has some of the most disturbing scenes that I've seen. The car sequence, the whole thing with the car is brilliant. I, yeah. I didn't think he had it in him, Tom Ford, to come no. up with such a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but to bring it to life like that um but yeah in saw it's different like we said it's campy it's 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 silly um so so it's just they're different yeah it's i and between the two like nocturnal animals is one that i really mm-hmm. kind of keep coming back to um you know, oh, yeah. it's got some indelible imagery it's gorgeous to look at even <laughs> when it's looking at some really, really nasty things because when it, it's a story within a story and when we're within that, that, that book, when we're the, the book that she's reading, um, things aren't nearly as handsome. It's all out in like the dust of Texas and, you know, with, mm. with some much more poorer people. And I mean, at one point we've got a person sitting on a toilet outside, um, which is just, <laughs> it's just so absurd to see. Um, and yet it all, you can't look away. It's a kind of movie that dares you to look away 
and you can't. So no, it's it, that's a great yeah. compare. That was like right. To, that was one of the first ones I thought of when I got deep into Velvet Buzzsaws. I was like, it's been a while since I watched Nocturnal Animals. I should put that back on. Um, well, no, one that I wanted to, one that I thought about, and I actually thought it was going to be uh, one that you brought up just because it's it's very much on brand for you is I got to thinking back to American Psycho. Oh, yeah. You know, um, so in case okay. people in case people haven't figured it out, uh, Sophia's uh, handle of returning videotapes is a is a line, a common callback in Mary Heron's American Psycho. It's the the thing that um, the main character Patrick Bateman, uh, uh, you know, Christian Bale keeps saying every time he needs to get out of a room, he's like, "I got to go. I got to return some videotapes," <laughs> um, because again, we have the really really wealthy world of 1980s new york um we have people who you know th these are people that you and i kind of look at and we're like man they must have the life like look at those clothes mm. look at their hair look at the cars and yet they are terrible people and the film is also just so batshit absurd um this is so I, I kind of want you to talk about this a little bit more because this is a movie I yeah. think that is deeper in your DNA than it is mine. Um, but but do you, like you see where I'm going with the connection of the two movies and I do. that American Psycho again does it better. I do, I do. It's it's the criticism of a of a class, right? Mm -hmm. Of a group of people, yeah. uh, and then obviously they die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's bloody as hell. But it, again, it's campy. It's fun. Funny, and you you think you shouldn't be laughing, yeah. Um, but I do think you get more laughs in the American in American Psycho. Like you said, it does it better for me. Obviously, I love that film, <laughs> and I've seen it a lot. I've read the book, like I consume that story like any like nothing else really. Um, and I I see where you're going. American Psycho. Uh, does it so well, the absurdity of its characters, how it mocks uh, Patrick Bateman and, and all the others, how they're interchangeable, mm -hmm. you know, how no one even notices that one of them is gone anyway, because there are so many details. It's the kind of film that, and that's why I think I want to watch Velvet Buzzsaw again. I, I don't believe it's anywhere near as tight as American Psycho. Although, maybe for someone who watches it for the first time, it may seem a little too crazy and a little disjointed, too, at times. But American Psycho, um, it criticizes the, the characters, it mocks them endlessly. The thing that I always kind of come back to with American Psycho is, at the time, it was really really divisive um critics and audiences mm. like i mean it didn't make a whole lot of money um critics weren't really sure what to make of it like some of them really bought into the critique others said i think that this is deplorable and we shouldn't be idolizing this kind of person uh you know and and they didn't really get the satire. I actually, like my own little story with it was I actually didn't see the film until much later. I read the book in uh, 99. I read the book like a year or so before the, the movie came out. It was a book that yeah. actually 
they'd been, it had been talked about as a book that was going to be made into a movie for a long time. And Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be in it at one point. And I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, and I decided to read it and I didn't know what I was getting into. And the book is written in a way that it never says Sophia sat down to podcast. It will say Sophia sat down to podcast wearing the brown cashmere sweater by Donna mm-hmm. Karen and the uh, glasses by Anne Klein and the shoe like oh, like everything is detailed and detailed and detailed and yes. it's it's all meant very tongue in cheek but it's so tedious to read um so i I didn't i didn't know what i was getting into so i really kind of hated that book by the time i got to the end of it but i I must admit that this film it's it's not for everybody that's for darn sure there's going to be a lot of people who really watch this and think what the hell is this guy doing in his sneakers with that chainsaw um but eating cats to adms (laughs) yeah 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 exactly um it but it's it's, it is it's but it's it's an incredible movie that i think has has actually aged really well it has actually yeah yeah and it feels short of itself oh very Uh, yeah so that and that that confidence i think transports to the audience in in feeling like you're watching something that is good i think I feel um, like the characters of this world would get along with the characters in Velvet Buzzsaw really well. Like if they were all yeah. at a party. They'd hate each other. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. You said you had another movie that you thought of as well, possibly? Um, I thought of another movie that is uh, confusing, um, okay. and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. Um, it's not as a great a companion as maybe Nocturnal Animals because it does not really have any bridges. It's just really the main actor. Um, and it's Enemy. Oh, I love Enemy. I love it too. It's one of those films that, again, like like this one, because this Velvet Buzzsaw, we didn't really touch on it, but it goes to surreal lengths. And Enemy does that as well, um, very well. In my opinion, a very a little film actually. Mm-hmm. I don't think, yeah, it's not as as popular as it should be. Uh, no. One of the things I've always loved about Enemy is the whole film has this kind of greasy, yellow, foggy oh. tone yeah. to it. And the one thing I love is that it makes my hometown look really nasty. <laughs> Wait, it's, it's it's set in your hometown. It, it's set in Toronto. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yeah, we, we don't. We, yeah, no, Sorry. we don't have those giant spiders <laughs> walking around. I'm happy to say, but um, but the rest of it, all of the buildings are Toronto. Um, like all of the, the the power lines. There's. It's kind of crazy because I once heard a critic talk about how Enemy seems like it's supposed to be very dreamlike, and that's really emblematic in the uh, the apartment building that one of the two doppelgangers lived in because it's this twisted yeah. spire that's obviously like something created by by a designer and is it no 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 that building exists that's an actual like practical building that has that wow. twist to it they call them the Marilyn buildings because they're kind of shaped like Marilyn Monroe's body um, but it's it's a movie that kind of it kind of flew under the radar because it came out not long after uh, Prisoner. Um, which was another, yeah. I mean, the weird thing is, oh, another movie by Denny Villeneuve, another movie <laughs> with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, <laughs> you know, another movie with a single word as its title, uh, enemy kind of got swept under the rug, but it's, that's a really good movie. 
Yeah, I think it's, I like it better than Prisoner a lot more. But that's just a taste thing. It's just a personal thing. Uh, they're completely <laughs> different. <laughs> but it's funny that I picked it and it's in Toronto. I have no idea because I associate Toronto with blue, just blue skies and gray buildings. I don't know. That's the, the, the image that I have in my mind. In yeah, Doug. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it really, it, the, it, it paints yeah. the city so differently, for sure. Yeah. It, it looks dusty here. I almost thought that it was somewhere in uh, mid America, you know, like the yeah. central. America. Yeah. Um, but here, the, the thing that I that I love about this movie, it's it's that is I like movies where I don't know what I'm watching. Yeah. Um, and when you feel very very confused, um, and that is true for this. That's true for American Psycho too. You never know where you stand there. Is I this think... real? Is this imaginary? Is this you know? Yeah, I think like I mean to bring it back to Velvet Buzzsaw, I think that was yeah. one of the things that I liked about it was that I wasn't entirely sure where exactly. what kind of tone it was going for. Like I, you know, as I said, it's it's messy, but at the same time, I I kind of appreciated the mess. Um, you know, a lot <laughs> of our even like a lot of our prestige films and a lot of our mainstream pop films, they're very linear. So every once in a while, I kind of like to have my mind messed with. Uh, whether it's surreal or whether it's um, satire, I really like to just kind of let go and see something that's not technically perfect, but at the very least yes. is memorable. And, and and Enemy is very much like that as well, because it's not perfect, certainly compared to a lot of the other Villeneuve films, but it's it's yes. really, really memorable in terms of its imagery and its its feeling. Exactly. I think that's what they all have in common. Yeah. And, and that's also something that I love. Yeah. Well, yeah. and uh, another little connection in bringing up Enemy is <laughs> that it's based on The Double by Jose Saramago, who is yeah. a Portuguese writer. Exactly. Which yes, is really is. why you brought it up. No, because I don't particularly <laughs> like that author. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to have to turn in your passport. Are you allowed to say that? <laughs> I I actually it's a bit of a sacrilege but uh um <laughs> but I but I'm allowed to I do not care. Uh, no it's funny because he he's actually done other other of his books have been um adapted to big movies. I think there's one about blindness. Yeah. Um yeah, I haven't seen the film. But it's okay. it's Yeah, book. no, you know he he that that guy he just wrote things without uh punctuation. Oh yeah, he didn't use dots. Yeah, no. none. Yeah, it, it was a, an artistic thing, and that bugs me. I don't yes. like that. So I had to study his books in in high school, and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows I read a lot of books, and Sarumego usually slows me down a, a good deal because I really got to concentrate with no punctuation, no quotations. Uh, he, does, I, he sometimes he doesn't even break up his paragraphs. When when so I'm annoying. yeah when I'm reading his books I gotta <laughs> I gotta concentrate a lot more and sometimes he doesn't even name the characters it's like the wife the lawyer the and I'm like oh my god dude um but but I I do appreciate them um okay so you've, one, you've read you've read this you've read this one the double I did or? and you know what I didn't I didn't like it as much as I liked the movie um <laughs> and I didn't even like it as much as I like some of his other books like he's he's written yeah. blindness is one of my all-time favorite books the sequel seeing is a really great one as well um death with interruptions is another fantastic one kane is another fantastic one um i do adore his writing but it's 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 an ask for sure um it, it, it's 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I you feel know, bad now. No, no. Don't <laughs> you feel... read more of them than I did. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I, 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 it's, it's been a while. You know, like it's kind of funny because when you were talking about um, how old you were when you saw The Ring for the first time, I was reading Blindness back then. So I've, I've, I've had more time around. There's lots of time for you to do it. Don't worry about it. Um, the I'm other sure. movie though that I thought of um, because I when I said earlier that this is a trashy movie that's handsome mm. that I appreciate, but can't really recommend to people. There's another film that is sits squarely in that spot that is really good looking, but just batshit insane and sometimes really nasty. Have you, and, and I know a lot of people who despise it. Have you ever seen a movie called the counselor from a few years ago? Oh no. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Love that movie so much. Um, oh god. <laughs> yeah. So this is a movie by Ridley Scott. Um it's direct it's it's written by Cormac McCarthy, the guy who wrote The Road and uh, um All the Pretty Horses. And it's about like a kind of it's about drug running down on the Mexican uh, Texas border, but it's also about some really, really rich people and how they're involved. And in the center of it all is this lawyer played by Michael Fassbender. He's the counselor. Um, this movie is nuts. It's gross. It's very violent at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and people really hate it. And there's so much about this movie that I really dig. <laughs> but I can tell that you're like, you can't be serious. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> You've I seen can't it, believe obviously. it. <laughs> I really did not like this movie, probably for all the reasons that people said. It just felt like all over the place, a big mess, um, and just superficial to me. Like it didn't say anything, but I understand. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've said it so many times. I think Mamma Mia is a great film, okay. honest to God, and it's one of my favorites. So go ahead and defend right. the counselor. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy because somebody asked like a month or two ago on Twitter, somebody said, what is a random film quote that you use in your day to day life a lot? And oddly enough, one of the ones I use the most uh, at work is from the counselor. And it's it goes they've heard of a coincidence. They've just never seen one before. And I use that so often because I, I do a lot of problem solving and I'm like, no, 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 there's no coincidences. Something just ha- like you did something to cause this, but I do love saying it that way. I, I do love saying I've heard of a coincidence. I've just never seen one before. Um, yeah. Everybody. And like, I mean, Javier Bardem is in this movie and he looks insane. Um, yeah. Cameron Diaz is in this movie and she is just like so well dressed trash. She's got these nails that look like they're made out of titanium. Like her, her, her yeah, her fingernails are just off the hook. Uh, yeah. Brad Pitt is playing this like greasy cowboy. Oh, I love this movie so much. And yet it's, and yet I know that it's terrible. Like there are a lot of people who will just absolutely hate this movie and I understand why, <laughs> but I just, I can't get enough. That reminds me of that the, that other film, uh, Savages or something. Yeah, and I've I've yeah. never I've I've turned on Savages a few times with the intention of just seeing what the big deal is, and I've never got through it. It's bad, it's, but it does have that look of you know. I don't know. Handsome. I don't even know. It's it's. I don't even like the look. Yeah, it's it, like it's usually but, when things are really colorful and bright and handsome photography, yeah. right? Ugh. 
Ugh, yeah. I hate I hate colorful, <laughs> except when it is in Mamma Mia, and that of I love it. Yes, of <laughs> So yeah, I think what we're saying is that there's a lot of there's a lot of movies out there that kind of seem to have their eye on material wealth and and success mm -hmm. is not all that it's cracked up to be, and uh, that Velvet Buzzsaw is certainly another one of those movies. Um, but that it can be done better when you get down to films like Enemy and American Psycho and Nocturnal Animals, but it can also be done much worse when you get to films <laughs> like The Counselor. That's for sure. So you know, that's I, I think that's my takeaways. If somebody was like. I didn't really like Velvet Buzzsaw. I'd say to them, well, did you like it more than The Counselor? Yeah. There we go. It's, you just say, it's not that bad. No, it's not that <laughs> Counselor bad. Um, <laughs> well, there we go. That is episode 216 of the Matinee Cast. I really want to thank Sophia Teixeira for coming by. Come on back on February 25th for episode 217. I think we're going to be talking about how to train your dragon there's a new steven soderbergh movie on netflix so we might talk about that but uh, we'll see sophia can be found at returningvideotapes.com uh and likewise on across the universe do you have anything coming up on either space that you want to plug actually we did what what is now tradition in our podcast which is talking about movies the best movies that we saw in 2018 but are not from 2018 because we all live in countries where we get movies pretty late um so we basically have not seen all the 2018 movies yet. Of course. So that's what we talked about. I like yeah, that. That's, that's, a, that's a really good idea. It's, it's more, it's much more personal. It's much more of like a, like a diary entry. I like that a lot more. Yeah. And it, it is different. It ends up, you never know what you're going to get. No. Because, and I mean, you yeah. know, that's the thing is you get to December and everybody is doing their year end list, their year end list. Right. And the same thing. Hey, listen, you get to the end of this year and we're going to have a whole lot of shows and posts about mm. the year end list and the decade end list come, you know, like, so just <laughs> get ready, everybody. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you can get people together and talk about these are the ones I saw for the first time this year that really stuck with me. I think that that makes for a much more unique experience and much more unique movie to listen. So cool. Listen for that. Um, there'll be a link for, um, which, uh, for across the universe in the show notes. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? I am under uh, returning videotapes. The handle is RVT blog. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Velvet Buzzsaw. I forgot what the movie was called for a second there. I was like, Destroyer, that's not right. Can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts? Um, no. <laughs> Mamma Mia is amazing, and American Psycho is an underrated classic. Oh, okay. Then yes, of course. <laughs> For Sophia, I'm Ryan. I'll see you at the matinee.